Welcome to the annual Fall FS Ag Roundtable, live on AM 1330, WRAM and FM 94.1, and online at radiomonmouth.com. This broadcast is courtesy of FS. Peak performance at harvest is a necessity. It's our expertise. Producers who look to have a successful harvest turn to FS. Our grain systems experts reduce downtime by offering the latest products, innovations, and knowledge to your grain operation. Whether you need a part in a hurry or advice on your equipment, we'll keep you running. At FS, we're always looking for ways to optimize your grain system and ensure during harvest your operation is ready for what's next. So visit FSSystem.com and let's get you headed towards your next success. FS, bringing you what's next. Welcome into our final segment. Here's to the farmer on our FS Fall Ag Roundtable. We are on the beautiful campus of Monmouth College in the second floor in the Morgan Room. Thanks to the college for allowing us to come in today and have our final segment of our FS Fall Ag Roundtable. Welcome in, farmers. I know we had quite a bit of rain last night uh, in the field with harvest as well. So hopefully you enjoy today's program. I'm going to turn things over to Dean of Faculty Mark Wilhart at Monmouth College. He has our partners for today. Thanks, Vanessa. Partners for today's uh, FS Fall Ag Roundtable are Growmark FS, Midwest Bank, Traditional Amish Hardwoods, Big River Resources, Elliott Brothers Seed Company, Monmouth College, OSF Holy Family Healthcare, Warren Henderson Farm Bureau, WMOI, WRAM, Martin Sullivan, Compure Financial, and Halcom Oil. Thank you very much, Dean Wilhart. Let's meet our panelists. First of all, our corporate partner is with uh, West Central FS, FS Growmark, Brendan Marshall. Brendan, welcome to the program. Thanks, Vanessa. Tell us a little bit about FS for those that may not know on our panel. So uh, we're a rural cooperative, farm service, um, Illinois, Iowa, Wisconsin, and we stretch all the way out on the East Coast. Now we're some, down, down some in the southern states and, and up in Canada, and we supply fuel, fertilizer, seed, chemicals, structures and uh, uh, livestock equipment to farmers. Okay, thank you so much for partnering with us again. You're to my left is Ken McMillan, who is also was an educator here at Monmouth College in the uh, business department, also with the Warren Henderson Farm Bureau Board. Ken, welcome to the program. Thank you, thank you. And also Troy Kazire is with us, manager at Hertz, longtime partner with this program as well. Welcome, Troy. Hi, Vanessa, good to be back. And Cassie Slitch is with us as well. She is with the Warren Henderson Farm Bureau uh, Board Young Leaders Program as well, and her and her husband are about to be the recipients of the Young Leaders Excellence in Agriculture Award from the Illinois Farm Bureau. Welcome, Cassie. Thank you. Happy to be here. Wendell Shawman is with us as well. Wendell, a longtime partner of these roundtables, local farmer. Wendell, welcome to the program. Glad to be here. They're always fun. We never know where we're going. <laughs> 
Also with us this morning, a newcomer, and hopefully uh, will be back with us again soon on these panels, is Dr. Seamus Riley. He is the president of Carl Sandburg College. Welcome, Dr. Riley. Uh, good morning. Thank you very much for the invitation. I'm happy to be here. As you met uh, Mark Wilhart, Dean of Faculty, uh, thanks, Mark, for allowing us to, to step onto the campus of Monmouth College today. Good morning again. Happy to have you all here. Also with us, Grace Simpson. She's interning with us at the radio station. She is an environmental studies major, junior here at Monmouth College. Welcome, Grace. Hi, happy to be here. Also with us, Brian Poston, one of our partners, uh, financial officer with Compere. Hi, Brian. Good morning, Vanessa. Glad to be here in this beautiful facility. Looks like a good place to have a nice dance after COVID is over. Yeah. <laughs> also with us is Professor Mike Connell from our business department as well. Longtime professor here at Monmouth College. Welcome, Professor Connell. Hi. I guess I'm going to be competing with... Uh, Dr. Seamus Riley for Rookie of the Year. <laughs> <laughs> Krista Swanson with us, Research Specialist, Gardner Ag Policy Program, U of I, and local farmer from Knox County. Hello, Krista. Hi, good morning, Vanessa. Uh, good to be here. Okay, let's get started then. Uh, we'll start uh, with Dr. Riley. Uh, today, uh, number one on our discussion is strengths, uh, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats to agriculture. Let's start with the strengths. One of the strengths uh, locally with your college is the introduction uh, and, and extended ag programming you're trying to provide at your college. Yeah, correct. We're trying to do some things. Of course, uh, agriculture is the number one industry in the state of Illinois. Now we're sitting here in beautiful Warren County, which is probably the most productive uh, county year on year. Uh, in, in terms of crop production, so very happy to be here. Yeah, we're certainly looking at uh, ways in which we can improve opportunities for um, folks in the area to get uh, competencies in the in ag, in terms of ag certificates, uh, working with local uh, universities to develop uh, transfer agreements, and also thinking more in terms of the science and technology aspect. I mean, we have certainly interests in precision ag and in terms of the mechanical aspects of agriculture, but we're also very interested in emerging technologies and emerging science in terms of crop production and the importance of understanding that as well as of course the conservation and understanding of our, our ecosystems and then in addition I think we're also looking at ways in which we can provide additional mechanical and training skills in areas like uh, welding or industrial maintenance or increasingly with uh, opportunities to train in industrial electrical uh, outfits so that we can prepare farmers who are working with uh, solar and wind technology as they begin to emerge into our agricultural landscape. Okay. Dean Wilhart, uh, what are some of the strengths you see uh, from Monmouth College's perspective about agriculture? So I, th I think, you know, building upon what Seamus is talking about, I think we've got a um, nice possibility to um, shift from the mechanical into the more um, liberal arts-based view of agriculture, that is to say, to build on the business end of it. You know, the fact that uh, Ken and Mike are here um, are not inconsequential. They are um, have been core to our economics and business program for a long time. And I think what we've got is the ability to, to take students who might start at Carl Sandburg and want uh, to finish with a broader degree and uh, finish them out with uh, uh, a broader course of studies that allows them to engage with agriculture in a slightly different way. Okay. Uh, you mentioned Professor Connell. Uh, Professor Connell, strengths that you see uh, in the agriculture industry and especially your opinion on the, the business aspect. Well, 
every community needs a source of wealth, and agriculture is our source of wealth. It's why we have the history we have, the wealth we have, and this farmland isn't going away. It's going to be productive, and we're going to be a leader for a long time to come. Okay. Farmland is an excellent one as well. We think of the strengths uh, in our area. Wendell Shaman, local farmer, 1967, graduate of Monmouth College as well. Uh, your, your thoughts on strengths in agriculture? Well, I guess first, the University of Illinois says that it's, I think something along with strength. The strength of strength is our soil. Can correct me on that. It's, it's a, anyway, it's you know we've got some of the greatest soils in the world. Uh, we have to take care of them, and there's a lot of emphasis on that now. Uh, we're looking at a lot of new things. Uh, just listen to Lauren Lurkin uh, before we came in for this, and, and a lot of the stuff that they're doing and talking about, especially cover crops, which are important this time of year. Okay. Cassie, uh, part of the Young Leaders Program with the Warren Henderson Farm Bureau. Uh, let's certainly want to hear your perspective on strengths in agriculture. Yeah, I think it's super exciting that our local, you know, colleges are investing in uh, growing and in looking into their ag programs. Um, as a young farm family, I think that's, you know, great going forward and having organizations like Farm Bureau to advocate in um, support agriculture and get the message out uh, to the community. Okay, thank you very much. Troy Kazire, you've seen many strengths in uh, agriculture, especially when you were a part of Monsanto's Agronomy and Learning Center for a very long time here in our local area. I'll turn things over to you. No, I, it's, uh, you know, when you take a look across the industry, I think the, the drive uh, the drive and the technology towards more efficiency uh, is has really been extraordinary over the last few decades and you take a look whether that whether that technology is in the form of of you know machinery and and uh, uh, you know GPS type technology precision technology whether it's in the form of genetics through breeding or through uh, some of the biotech uh, you know products that have that have come out uh, when you take a look at what we have been able to do in terms of efficiency uh, and and reducing soil erosion and reducing the inputs per per unit of output, it's it's really pretty phenomenal uh, what this industry has been able to do. Okay, Brendan Marshall, you work with farmers every day in the field to help them get the most out of their crop, but also on sustainability and conservation. Would you say that's another strength of agriculture? Yes, very much so. And and to say to along with what Troy said, technology. Like when I first started here, we were soil testing just by going out and driving through a field on a truck, poking random holes in the soil, and now we're doing a two and a half acre grid. Um, growers are then, we take those two and a half acre grids and we get a, a very established yield goal off of what we've done with not only the hybrids that are new and today. So we're fertilizing for what crop removes or what crop needs, and in the areas that don't need the fertilizer, it's not getting it. And so with that, you know, with that being said, we can, we can go off soil tests alone and put buildups and take them down or by crop removal once soils are where they're at. Not only is it safe fertilizer, but it's more efficient and in the long run more sustainable. Okay. Ken McMillan? A couple of things. Number, number one, uh, one of the reasons U.S. agriculture is uh, the world leader is we've accepted for a long time a base of private property rights which means that the people who own the land and own the resources, uh, because it belongs to them, they're not just somebody hired to go out and, and, and do a job. Um, in the U.S., if you're going to farm, you've got to make a profit. 
to to exist. It's not something just people do uh, part time. You don't get up in the middle of the night to uh, if you've got a cow that's calving on and Cassie's operation or when I used to raise sheep, you don't do that unless you've got money invested, unless time is invested, and you know you've got to have uh, a positive bottom line if you're going to succeed. In addition to that, I don't know any uh, field short of medical science that is more based on science than modern-day agriculture. The land-grant college system, which uh, has a, basically has a college in every state, they're doing research related to, to what goes on in that state and, and here in Illinois, it's a big factor in the progress that, that we've made. So I think you put all those things together and it's one of the reasons why Illinois agriculture and U.S. agriculture are the envy of the world. Thank you very much. Krista? Hi, yeah, just to build first on what Ken just said, um, you know, he talked about the money and the time that um, farmers have invested in, in um, you know, their livelihood, but, and I think what he was getting at too, but didn't say is the heart invested in it. I mean, it's, it's the life of farmers, you know, it's, it's not just their career or their business, but it's also their entire life and livelihood. So, I mean, that's so important in, in what they're doing. And then to also build on what Troy and Brendan said, you know, um, the efficiencies and the technology that we have, um, you know, we have the ability, we're, we're producing um, more than anywhere else in the world and in a more sustainable way than anywhere else in the world. I mean, that's such a huge important thing that people outside of agriculture, I don't know if they always um, fully grasp that. Um, and we have the ability to contribute to so many different products as well. Um, so that's just something that a lot of the strengths that agriculture has. And Krista, for those that may not know who are listening, tell us what the Gardner Ag Policy Program is with the University of Illinois. Yeah, so the Gardner Ag Policy Program is a program that is uh, it's housed in the Agriculture and Consumer Economics Department, and um, it's, it's uh, funded through the Illinois Farm Bureau family of companies and is uh, intended to specifically focus on research related to policy and economics. A lot of what I do is looking at how policy or potential policy moves um, would impact farm level income and so I um, spend a lot of time looking at what's coming in the pipeline. There's no shortage of that over the last few years um, at the federal level or at the state level. But looking at how those changes uh, trickle down and impact the farmer. And Brian Post and uh, what, what Krista usually is able to provide for us every year is income, net income to the farmer. Uh, do you think one of the strengths has been the ability to have a cyclical market uh, and some of the, the help that has come from the federal government at times? Yes, that's been a big help the last um, couple of years. We, we've went through a period here in agriculture where we've had um, pretty bleak earning potential. Um, so it really forced producers to be strong businessmen, knowing where their break-evens were, knowing where they needed to cut costs, made them um, focus even more on the production side, trying to generate more revenue. Um, so with that period of lower earnings, the, the additional programs through the federal government have been a huge help to help people survive and then, and then allowed 
to time where prices actually rebounded where people could produce a, a margin. Okay. And Grace Simpson. So uh, Grace is an environmental studies major, so we have been slowly introducing her to agriculture uh, this last year and into uh, this current school year. Grace, what are strengths you've recognized so far about agriculture? Uh, yeah, so from what I've been able to witness so far, um, I think one of the strengths that Illinois in particular has is instilling a love and passion for the earth and its youth. Um, and in agriculture, I know that it is going to be the thing of the future. Um, and finding ways to make it more sustainable. I mean, these talks like this um, are a great way for youth to learn more about how to make agriculture more sustainable in the future, um, which is gonna be the top priority, making it more sturdy. Um, so yeah, I think that's one of our absolute strengths, is instilling love and passion in the youth. Okay, Dr. Riley, I'll come back your way on strengths. Uh, from a global perspective, as people have pointed out today, uh, the USA is strong in pr uh, produ production, uh, trading with partners, uh, the ability to be able to, to be a leader in the world in agriculture. That is one of our strengths. How do you uh, see us in the future expanding upon that strength globally? Well, I think as the greatest producer of, of certainly in grain and cereals in the world, I mean, the U.S. plays a pivotal role in, in sustaining the planet uh, in terms of being able to provide a, a sustainable and produ productive uh, food source. Uh, but I think more importantly than that is in terms of its role as a leader in agriculture in making sure that the emerging economies can be uh, sustained and grow and prosper. Uh, because as we all know, the, the real threat to our planet's sort of <laughs> geopolitical uh, piece is is lack of resources and as a leader in the in the ag world as a lead producer but also as a lead educator uh, opportunities to provide uh, global education and make sure that those countries can come uh, through and be productive in terms of, of the providing food source for their populations. Wendell Shaman, you visited 38 countries on various uh, agriculture leadership positions. Uh, you've seen directly the impact the U.S. has had on global ag production. Yeah, something I should have mentioned right off the bat was our transportation system is really one of the huge strengths of the United States. And right now you can see where it can also be a weakness or a threat when it's bottled up with, with, with that hurricane down there. Um, I used a line once when I was doing an interview, I said it was my highway to the world. And a guy taping it says, you can't use that line enough. Uh, it's that important to us. And you can explain that to the infrastructure bill that's being debated, debated now. Uh, it's more than river. For us, it's a river. We're close to the Mississippi River. And you've got the whole river system that, that funnels the whole heart of the Midwest to, to get our products all over the world. But also the roads and you know, Illinois roads, they spend a little money around here, but gosh, it'll just shake you to death driving a truck back and forth on them. We need a lot of work there, and probably the rail system, too. There's a lot of mergers and stuff going on, but, but the whole collective infrastructure system of how we move grain around the world and how fragile that can be if, if one, one part of it gets bottled up is, is certainly important. Um, what was the other part? Uh, as far as other countries, uh, I worked with Greens Council for a number of years, um, and we've got offices, I used to be 10, I think it's more than that now, around the world, uh, developing markets with, with uh, demand for what we're producing in the Midwest and trying to increase our, our markets, which increases income here. Uh, 
that's a challenge for and Ron Moore's not here, but Soybean Association has their own system like that around the world too. So that's a real important process of producing is one thing, you have to have a market too and, and we have the United States have people working all over around the world trying to develop those markets. Yes, you mentioned Ron Moore. He's also an avid traveler for the American Soybean Association as the past chairman. Visited many a country to help them uh, not only with their soybean uh, products but with their infrastructure such as the Panama Canal. Um, Troy Kazire, so that's a strength what we've been able to provide um, overseas both uh, in the southern hemisphere and in other countries. But also could it, is there a potential weakness or a threat with the companies such as the one that you were with Monsanto and right here with Smithfield, the purchases of these companies by other countries. Is that a future possible challenge for us? Well, yeah, I mean, it's always, all of those things are trade-offs, right? Uh, you know, again, it's just drive towards more efficiency. Well, that comes with certain trade-offs and, and you have to, um, you have to accept some of those risks, you know, along with the benefits. And, and you know, when you, you know, you, I tend to think of it, you know, when I think of agriculture, I think pretty big picture. You know, this is, United States agriculture is, is one of the primary, if, if not the primary engine that drives our entire economy. And, and I say that because when you think about the fact that we, and I think most of us have probably heard this statistic, and I don't know the most recent number, last I knew it was somewhere under 10% of our disposable income is what we spend on food in this country. You live in a country where you, you are spending less than 10% of your disposable income on food. That means you have a lot of money left over to spend on crap you don't need, <laughs> like Xboxes and, and, and Playstations and tennis shoes and trips to Hawaii. And, uh, just, you know, and the list goes on and on, which means a lot of people are able to get jobs designing, producing, transporting, selling, servicing a bunch of crap you don't need, right? And, and, and that is a huge engine that drives this economy and so you know there are certain trade-offs when we talk about those efficiencies and in the 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 risks that it can leave us open to when you talk about sort of you know a, 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 a consolidation of, of a lot of those uh, a lot of those inputs or, or a lot of par parts of the, that industry in, in fewer companies um, but you know where that balance is, I don't think anybody really knows. There's there's just trade-offs that we're going to have to accept or not accept. Right, Ken McMillan. Um, I think to, to don't, I don't remember now what your last question was, but uh, one of the things to keep in mind is that there's a great deal of uncertainty out there. The the risks in farming today are greater than than they've ever been. Uh, we don't know in terms of international trade when when we're going to face uh, an embargo somewhere. We don't know when when our government's going to use trade as a tool and every time things like that happen it, it eliminates any potential for having certainty in, in what our costs are going to be, uh, what what we're going to be able to get out of product, and and uh, Wendell talked about the the river and and rail being important for moving our product, but it's also important for moving inputs into this area, and so all of those all of those things come into this mix. There's so many strengths of agriculture, but but there are a lot of potential whammies out there that. Uh, 
It can just destroy profit potential, can destroy a crop, it can destroy your ability to go to the bank and get financing for the future. Uh, and, and that's one of the complexities of agriculture today. Krista, you've heard Ken uh, walking us into uh, some of the weaknesses and or threats, including um, infrastructure, but as we pointed out, international trade policies, or excuse me, Wendell had infrastructure. Ken with international trade policies. What do you think of those two concepts, and what are other potential weaknesses in trades you've been able to discover, not only as a local farmer, but with your policy program research? Yeah, so, I mean, they really hit the nail on the head about some of the, you know, it's hard to say, does this fall into the weakness category or the threats category? Um, uh, I would maybe place it more in the weakness category because it's, um, you know, in the last couple of years, we've really seen you know, 2019, we had major weather events that really disrupted the industry. And then in um, 2020, we had, you know, trade policy that kind of changed uh, how the trade dynamics worked. And, and that threw kind of a curveball to farmers uh, in some ways. And then we had COVID. <laughs> um, so we've kind of been hit from all ends that with, with just really different things that have impacted um, the industry and it is hard to manage as a farmer when you have all of that uncertainty um, how do you make long-term plans you know farming takes a lot of capital investment and so you're making long-term plans for your business when you um, you know make those investments and so how do you do that not knowing where the the future is going it's a it can be a real challenge so the uncertainty would fall under that weakness category you're feeling I think so because I tend to think of threats more more of, um, well, I mean, I guess some of those things could be threats too. It depends how you want to look at it. Sure. I was thinking more of threats of tax policy and um, um, regulations and those types of things that we also have coming at us. Um, so, I mean, I think yeah. it's kind of coming at you from different ways, whichever group you want to place it in. Totally get it, because weaknesses, <laughs> sometimes you feel like those are fixable, uh, tangible yeah. problems, and threats are sometimes things you, you don't are know which walls come in your way. Yeah. Uh, but you, you lead right into Professor Connell, who's economics um, business professor long time here at Monmouth College she's talking about that uncertainty of policies what do you think uh, from a, a weakness perspective and is that something that you teach about in class that you can't control the elements I start my very first class in business talking about risk what is risk and how do you deal with risk and and how risk is ever present and certainly risk is in farming as much or more than anything else we do but everything's risk related um, you know the, the weaknesses We've been dealing a lot with China. We sell a lot to China, and China gives us a lot of numbers, and there's always been a big question about, are those numbers accurate? And this is our house of cards over there. And I just read the other day that by 2025 or maybe 2030, India will have a larger population than China, that their demographics are growing, and China's got this demographic less children. And so maybe our trading partner will shift. India will become an emerging player on the field very soon. That's a very good point. You are hearing about that. Wendell, you shared with me in an interview recently when Professor Connell brought up China, how interesting that we financed a road for Kenya that Kenya then turned and had China actually take our $7 million investment. Explain that because that leads right up to the, the weakness and or potentially a threat. Uh, the, we were we were looking at the possibility of getting grain to Kenya. It turned out to be really tough. It's just the logistics, it could be done, but it's so costly as a market we weren't going to develop very, very well. But going out to see the port, and it's a, it's a port that would work, 
you also go through pirates out there too, which is another little little hazard. Um, I was visiting with two guys on uh, from the embassy, and and they they were laughing. I said, "Well, we got seven million dollars to, to help the Kenyans build a road," and uh, and then they gave the contract to the Chinese. <laughs> they didn't seem particularly miffed about this. I wasn't too happy about it. Uh, and let me switch to to India. Uh, it's a huge population, it's a huge market, it's a very self-protective market. It is very hard to get into. We've been working and working over there trying to get our foot in the door. We've got uh, corn processors in the western part of India that would love to buy U.S. corn, but the, the tariffs and, and restrictions they have on them, you, you just can't get in there. And that's, uh, in that country, the, you think we have weird politics. Uh, it's really tough over there and, and to, to get into that market. Things will change as their population changes. If they get their incomes up and stuff, I think things will change. But right now, it's a tough nut to crack. Did not know that. I wondered how how relations were with India. And, you know, we've had such positives with some of our ambassadorship to China. So do we know who the ambassador is to India? No, I don't. Okay. That would be something in the future to talk about. It's just the Indians, it's, it's, they're just very protective. They, they want to produce everything themselves. I don't some of the professors, correct me if I'm wrong on that, but, but they're, they're very protective of their own businesses and, and don't seek outside competition. Cassie Slitch, who is also a local farmer, from your perspective, you're, you're in this business, you're here for the long haul, you and your family. Uh, what are you seeing as weaknesses that keep you up at night somewhat? Oh, goodness. Um, lots of things. <laughs> things I could talk about are endless. Um, I, like Ken said, you know, we wouldn't, or well, and Krista, we wouldn't do it if it what, you know, it's how we make our, it's our livelihood and how we make our money. And, but it's also, we wouldn't do it if we weren't passionate. So those things that keep you up at night, um, yeah, I guess I don't, where do I start? Um, I, the regulations, the taxes, secession planning, um, the weather, um, they're all, yeah, they, not everything has an answer. And like Krista said, um, how do you long-term plan for something such as secession planning when you don't know what the regulations or taxes will be um, when you get to that point? So, um, yeah, I think that's the big one. Um, you know, young families want to take over and continue the family tradition and our livelihood but that's getting harder and harder to do inputs are higher than ever uh, lots of us have to have off the farm jobs to make ends meet um, but also help on the farm because the workforce isn't there so um, yeah I, th I think those are the big ones or what in the last few years have really um, affected us. Very good points. Appreciate your comments. Uh, one of the advantages, or I would say strengths of that weakness is we do have folks like Brendan Marshall uh, who are here to help farmers uh, try to mitigate those risks such as input costs. You can't control them. I know the labor force is really tough on your industry as well. Brendan, what, what do you see as, as a way to help farmers um, mitigate some of these weaknesses that we're seeing? I talked about earlier, um, technology piece, you know, one way to help yourself with input costs is, you know, the grid testing. Um, there's also a lot of times there's, a lot of times there's opportunities to buy at different times of the, of the year to lock in input prices beforehand, such as early prepays on fertilizers and nitrogens and chemicals, um, but also having a solid plan. And I think it all starts with a sustainable yield goal. And when you start with your sustainable yield goal, 
and you are able to lock in some prior, you know, some pricing early, then you're able to sell to cover those um, boundaries. And so we strive to try to work with people on those types of things. And Brian Poston, you do the same thing at Compere. Right. I think uh, to tie into what Brendan just said, you know, having a, having a goal in mind um, for what you're shooting for, profitability-wise, enables you to do some planning. So once you kind of know your your input costs and some other fixed costs that you have for your business, then you can start to analyze market opportunities and determine when, when, and how maybe you want to reduce some risk for your operation. Sure. And uh, for time purposes, we'll move in threats and we'll end on opportunities so that we're ending on a positive note. Dean Wilhart, what do you see as threats to agriculture? You know, you're, you're asking a dean of a college to talk about threats to agriculture. I'm pretty sure everybody in this room would have a better answer than I would. I will say this, though. I think what you all are talking about in terms of risks and uncertainties um, are the same things that are facing uh, other markets uh, and other industries. And part of our, our best solution to all of that is to um, make sure that we are educating the next generation and getting them the help that they need to begin to puzzle through the complexities that you all are talking about here and the things that we're facing. Um, I don't think it's unique to agriculture. I think it's certainly um, one of the things that is going to continue to threaten this, this area, uh, the state of Illinois and agriculture as a, as a sector. Um, but I think that there are ways through if we concentrate, as Seamus has said earlier, on the educational qualities of it. Yeah, and complexities is a key word for education because there, there's so much that goes into this industry. One thing that's unique about this industry for the last uh, several uh, or since the Great Recession is our only trade surplus has been in agriculture uh, through, you know, our challenging uh, through the Great Recession and until uh, now. Dr. Riley, your thoughts on uh, threats uh, to agriculture? Well, I think there are multiple. I think farmers are the most uh, experienced at reacting to this. They've been doing it since agriculture began. And so I think their ability to adopt uh, new technologies to, to control the input prices. The biggest issue that I see uh, to agriculture as a threat is the lack of um, certainty about what is happening, the threat to the small family farm, uh, the growth of much larger ownership of agricultural land as an investment, as a commodity, as opposed to a necessarily a production sort of capacity. Uh, and then some of the issues related to the weather and climate and things that you can't control and the ways in which uh, those have um, are pose a significant threat in terms of produ production. And the other piece I would say is just um, farmers, uh, an old farmer once described to me is it's the only uh, industry where you, it's basically legalized gambling. You throw something in the ground in, in March and you pray to God that something comes out in September. Uh, and I, I've always found it interesting that uh, this sort of economic strictures which farmers operate under are not a level playing field compared to other industries. I mean, we have more or less similar sort of kind of rewards uh, and uh, the cost of everything else has increased exponentially. And so some way in which farmers can have some more uh, certainty about what their production is going to be in, in terms of their costs and, and output, but also like the investment in this in agriculture uh, at a federal and state level uh, needs to be sustained and needs to be increased. I think farmers have done everything they can in their power to use the technology and science and everything they can do uh, to control the, their costs, uh, but there needs to be more profit in agriculture for it to be sustainable. Wendell, would you agree with that? Uh, yeah. The, 
To be fair, we get a lot of government support uh, that, that a lot of other private businesses don't, and we're reluctant to talk about that very often. Uh, but, you know, we got some pretty nice checks from the government to get us through this, this COVID thing. Uh, so we're not totally in free fall. We, we do have, and we've got a, a federal crop insurance program that's, I think, almost universally used by farmers. Uh, yeah, it costs us some money, but it is, it's subsidized pretty significantly. And it's something farmers would really fight to, to uh, keep now. We're, we've had it for, I don't know, 10, 15, maybe 20 years. And it's just, part, it's, it's a huge protection for us. Uh, but again, it is highly subsidized by the government. Um, is that accurate for every single year? Uh, do you see the same payment subsidized from the government every year? Or was this COVID uh, an example of like the stimulus checks that the rest well, of America it's, got? It's, it's invisible. It, it's, okay. Uh, the, insurance, the insurance industry, it uses the commercial insurance industry working with the government bureaucracy and they're always fighting back and forth. Each side think government thinks they're paying too much, the industry thinks they're not getting enough. And you've got that battle every year. But but it's been a very successful program and, and widely used and, and widely valued. Um, so that's and I had another thought that came and went, so just let me know. <laughs> Dr. Riley, how with your education experience plus you do a great deal of listening uh, into ag programming, um, how do we compare to other countries with our system? Because you brought up some great points on the complexity of our agriculture system and the profit level. Do, do we have any idea how we compare to other countries? Well, I'm not an ag expert, but I grew up in Ireland, so I know a lot about agriculture and it's exactly the same. So for example, in the European market, uh, what used to be the EEC and is now the European Union, uh, it's farmers operated under exactly the same restrictions. I mean, huge capital input, uh, real uncertainty about prices. Yes, a lot of subsidies, uh, subsidies controlled in, in terms of the, of the European Union, and there is payback uh, certainly for farmers, but there are, are significant risks, and, and farmers farm because they believe and love to farm, and their heart is in it. Uh, and it's very difficult, um, significant financial uh, risk always in business, but, um, and yes, while there are certainly subsidies and subsidies can help um, sort of, you know, you know, prevent a catastrophe for an individual farmer, um, most farmers that I meet would rather be able to stand on their own two feet, and that's true, I think, across the world. Cassie Slitch, I, I think some of the things Dr. Riley said speaks to what you were talking about, what keeps you up at night, is that family farm and wanting to continue that tradition and pass that on because uh, most people drive around and think that it is a big corporate farm because of the signs that may be in the, 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 the fields, um, but in fact we're trying to hold on to the small family farm. Yeah, totally. Um, I, I understand what he's saying and like what you said, the misinformation and the um, the majority of people don't have an ag background. So like you said, they drive around and they think those signs that actually mean that's the seed that was planted in that field mean, I when I worked for a seed company years ago, um, people thought that's who owned the field. Um, that's what they thought those signs represented. Um, and to kind of take this to my take from the beef side of it, there's lots of misinformation on labeling and and that affects all, a lot of us in this room. GMOs, antibiotic free, um, consumers don't, don't understand what that means and social media, people want to get their information from 
Google instead of going to farmers. So that's why organizations like Farm Bureau that and you know our local schools having programs and having students from Monmouth here trying to learn the other side of things are so important um, to kind of help balance that out and we need to do better about advocating for ourselves because it seems like the other side is always louder because it's hard for us to uh, pat ourselves on the back. Troy Kazire, you've got a lot of experience uh, with what you have done. You've been an ag educator, by the way, uh, an ag teacher, uh, so this is very near and dear to your heart with social media and some of the misinformation. But in general, though, too, what are, are the threats that you feel are coming to ag? I mean, I mean, there's, there's a bunch of them that have been touched on. I mean, you, the, the weather, the fact that agriculture is one of our only positive surplus tools, so it's that's the first weapon other countries use against us when it comes to trade uh, issues. Um, you know, uh, regulation. When I think, particularly the livestock industry, regulation, and then and then that leads into some of, you know, we're seeing a shift in some societal norms. I, I guess that that are impacting demand. Uh, and, and to to Cassie's point, um, you know, we have a because we've become so efficient. You know, fewer and fewer of us are involved in farming and understand what production agriculture is, which means there's a much larger and larger percentage of our population that's further and further removed from it. And, and so that is driving uh, that, that lack of familiarity, that lack of education, that lack of understanding is driving a lot of those shifts in societal norms that are impacting some of the demands and, and ultimately can, uh, can threaten uh, some of the some of the things that, that the industry is is trying to do, uh, and and so that that lack of edu education, sort of domestically, I think that's that's a huge threat as well. Ken McMillan, your thoughts on threats? Um, I I, th I think one of the threats is a lack of public understanding, and and this this uh, suspicion that corporate agriculture, major corporations are taking over, is probably one of the biggest problems. If you would take a look at the Warren County or Henderson County or Knox County plat book, you're gonna, and, and look at the parcels of land and look who owns them. They're not big corporations. There are some, some farmers that have, have incorporated their operation for tax purposes, for purposes of passing on to another generation. But there's this idea out there that, that the family farm is no more. And, and, and I think that is, is a big threat. Um, just looking at it the, the other way, when, when I grew up, when Mike grew up, when Wendell grew up, um, you know, you diversified the farming operation. You had corn, you had soybeans, you had, you raised hay, you had oats, you had hogs, you had cattle, you had chickens. You were going to survive w one way or the other, and, and things have changed. But the modern farmer, and I think Cassie and Tyler are a good example of this, you learn how to build an operation, uh, often working a little bit in what many people would think of as agribusiness rather than just straight farming. But you put together an operation that's going to help you end up 
with a profitable bottom line. And the young farmers that are on the Warren Henderson County Farm Bureau Board, many of them are doing that. They are farming. They are committed to farming. But they're involved in a few other things in order to make sure they can balance out the profit line. I think maybe if Cassie could talk a little bit about what they have put together as an ability to, to maintain an income flow, to be profitable, but also it, it's not just the standard farm operation that many people would think about. Go ahead, Cassie. Yeah, it's easy to talk about, about what we do. So, um, so Tyler and I's relationship was built off of our love for, you know, beef cattle and the cattle industry. So uh, we always knew we would have cows. So that's where we started. And then we realized there was a need um, for, we also own and operate slush cattle services. So that grew uh, shortly actually before we were even married and over the years that business has grown into ultimately what has helped get us um, this state award here in December. Um, so Tyler works for a feed company and has for several years and I have worked in crop insurance nearly 10 years so those are our off uh, the farm jobs to make ends meet but we have grown our cow calf Angus Simital um, operation there um, on our farm and then built this business that has been huge to keep that cattle business um, running and also helping uh, my family's farm uh, row crop operation in Knox County. So yeah, we've had to dabble in a little bit of everything, which are off the farm jobs still have to do with agriculture, um, but they allow us to still grow you know our beef operation and our business so. and sometimes as i've heard in, since the affordable health care act farmers have had to go get that off the farm job because they needed the insurance uh, to be able to pay the the premiums um, because that changed um, in the past a few years krista Go ahead. Uh, Cassie's had a chance to share. You've also shot video uh, trying to, your family, uh, to show people what the farm is really like and, and your operation. So what are the threats that you see? But roll us into opportunities as well. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, like Cassie really hit on is that to be a young person in farming, it, uh, if that's kind of your dream is to farm or carry on your family's farming. I mean, my husband and I are in similar situations where we have multiple off-farm jobs um, to basically allow us to be able to come into the family farm and start buying into that and be able to afford to do so. I mean, the reality is, um, and there's actually a couple farm doc, University of Illinois farm doc websites. We've done some articles on this recently too, talking about the challenges that young farmers face and that you can't make it cash flow without the um, with either without being help from the older generation, um, but if you are, a lot of times that older generation still needs their full amount of income to sustain themselves. They can't just give the younger person, you know, machinery use for free or something like that. And so unless you're in a situation where your older generation of your family is able to do that, if you're paying for everything yourself, you've you need um, kind of another income stream to help do that. And that's that's there's some dynamics that have changed in the industry that have changed that from 30 years ago. Um, and that's a real challenge of today's farmers. I do want to touch on one thing. Um, uh, and I know Mark, when he when he started, he said, I'm probably not the best person in this room to, to attack this. But he mentioned how, um, you know, 
a lot of other industries are facing the same challenges as farmers. And yes, that is true. A lot of the things that um, are challenges or threats to farming um, are also applicable to other businesses, but there are a few things that make farming kind of unique. Um, JFK said that the farmer is the only man who, in our economy, who buys everything at retail, sells everything at wholesale, and pays the freight both ways. <laughs> and that's still true today. Um, so farmers do have some different challenges that other industries don't, which is exactly why some of the um, subsidized programs that Wendell talked about our reality, and that's because um, historically our government has realized the importance of agriculture to our economy and the very unique set of challenges that farmers face. So I did just want to kind of tie a few of those things that were said together uh, and, and bring that back. And yeah, which definitely led us into where Dr. Riley uh, stated that it's not always the same profit margin opportunities with agriculture. Brian and Grace, uh, Professor Connell, anything else on threats from you? No, I just, as we become more and more efficient here at home, it just increases the need for Wendell to go and find us new markets all around the world. That's right. And, and <laughs> the, the, the politics of the world are, are cha ever-changing, and there's no certainties there. That's for sure. Did you want to make a comment, Wendell, before I move on? Well, yeah, it's, your, your markets are always changing, too. Uh, Administrations change there and policy changes where, where the, you're friends one day, you're a competitor the next. Uh, it, it's, I've been to enough places and some places you receive warmly and other places are, you'll be warned now. Now this guy's going to come at you pretty hard. He's going to burn or resettle about, about something. Uh, I, I've looked at some Greens Council stuff this morning just before I came in and, and one of the highlights was our director over there in, in China who's been there for probably 10 years or better, uh, PhD professor from Minnesota that, that got to go, he's got a Chinese wife and he's been over there and he's leaving. And I've not talked to anybody but I'm really curious as to why. Because uh, I figured he'd gone to China, his wife, his, his kids were in China, he, he, he would be there forever. And I just have to wonder if he's not decided maybe it's time to get out of there while the getting's good. Hmm. Uh, he, and he's got a good, he went back to Cal Poly as head of a department there, so it, it, it's a promotion that way. But, but my sense of knowing the guy was that he really was more comfortable in China than he was here. Hmm. Uh, maybe a misread or not, but I'm really curious to try and find out what the inside story is there. Brian and Grace, uh, take us, uh, close us out on threats as we move into opportunities. Uh, the, the threats as I see it in ag today, to hit on real quickly, labor shortages, the risk involved of being taking so much capital to get started in agriculture, that's a big risk. Um, possible deterrent for, for people getting into to ag, uh, production ag, I should say, regulations, tax law changes. And the one thing I want to hit on also is agenda-driven groups um, that try and threaten specifically animal production as we know it. Um, for example, would be the Initiative 16 that was brought up in Colorado that luckily got shot down by the Colorado Supreme Court. But, you know, this is this was a a bill that was going to be put on the ballot or proposed to be put on the ballot um, to to limit agricultural production to tell farmers how they they could they could take care of their animals things that would be eliminated such as embryo technology artificial insemination actually being able to help a cow that's having problems calving 
um, that was going to be determined um, illegal. Um, it was going to determine at what age you could market um, animals. For example, uh, the 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 lifespan of a cow was supposed to be determined at 20 years old so you had to let an animal live at least a quarter of its life before it could be harvested for food um, and god knows my dad and i we try and keep our cows as long as possible but keeping a cow for 20 years is, is not that is not a normal lifespan for a cow so th these are the kind of things i think that we need to be aware of um and, and once again i believe it's from agenda driven people that i think are well intentioned but just don't know exactly how animal production works in the united states okay thank you for your comments brian grace um yeah going along with that um I'm very fortunate to have grown up in a town similar to Monmouth that is close to agricultural production, but um, like Cassie said, I think one of the biggest threats to agricultural today is just the mis not miscommunication, but lack of education <laughs> in um, people on social media and people who are so far removed from um, farmers not understanding that um, they're not just the stereotypical group of people. They are people who are working to provide for our economy and um, are working to be more sustainable. It's not like they're just trying to get um, every ounce of money they can. It is part of, um, uh, sorry, uh, the economy that they work for. And um, I think with more education and more programs like Monmouth has, um, such as um, environmental studies, um, if the youth understood more about um, GMOs and like what you said, antibiotics and what organic actually means, mm -hmm. um, and understanding what a farmer actually does, um, it would bring more people together and less polarized and combative when talking about um, topics such as putting wind turbines or um, shutting down coal plants or talking about um, where our corn's going. Mm -hmm. And Grace, you had told me one day we were training, uh, actually doing a, a football game, and you made a comment to me that social media is very addicting, uh, and there's so many, uh, you had some actual you know, numbers to, sh to share with me, and I thought about that, because our age group, we don't, we really don't, you know, we're there to see what our aunts, uncles, you know, you know, nephews and nieces are doing. We forget that this generation, they, they've only known the telephone. When we grew up, we were able to not have a telephone, um, you know, as, as a device that we're online. But this generation, that's, that's all they've known. And so they get a lot of their information scrolling. And like you say, it can be very addictive. Yeah, and you get your resources that is just a tunnel that is just so similar to what your opinion is already that you can't diversify your resources and right. the other side and that kind of thing is just very polarized. It is and, and that's where Cassie with her beef production operation someone can hover over one you know uh, misinformation one social media uh, video that may not be accurate and then they're going to get fed video after video because of the algorithms. Yeah, absolutely. There's no one there to regulate the information that's being put out. And if you have, you know, one friend that posts something and you don't have a friend in agriculture to tell you that's not true, you're, yeah, you kind of believe what you see without, you know, giving it much more thought. Or it seems to be that's what consumers have been doing with social media. Okay. All right. Opportunities. We're definitely going to talk about the positive. Ken? Opportunities in agriculture. 
I think one of the greatest opportunities, one of the most positive things looking ahead is what's already built into agriculture through the, the land-grant colleges, uh, through the agribusiness network of providing the inputs and, and the machinery and equipment. I remember Mike and I went to a, an environmental um, session at the University of Chicago once, and, and there, there was a person there who was complaining about agriculture and complaining about the big machines and equipment and the damage they were doing to the soil. This person had no idea. When I grew up, when you wanted to put, when you wanted to have a corn crop, number one, you had to go over the field with a relatively small tractor that was not very highly energy efficient to get it ready to plow. Then you went over it and you plowed it. Then you went over it and you harrowed the clods away. Then you went over and you disc it once. Then you might have mulched it. Now each of these times, a tractor and a piece of equipment was going across the, the field. And then you planted. And then you cultivated three times. Um, and, and then you harvested. Now think how many times the tractor went over the land and it was compacting it as it did. Today, sometimes a tractor goes over, I mean, the tractor comes in with the equipment, can almost one swipe through the field, get the crop in the ground. Another one to deal with pests and so forth, and another one to harvest. And, and, and we're doing minimum tilling, all kinds of things now. All of this is the result of the land-grant colleges and companies like Deere and Company and others that have come up with the equipment, have come up with the technology to do things so much better. Now, I mention all that because that's hope for the future as well. Um, we know a lot more about nutrition. We know a lot more about reproductive things in, in livestock. Uh, the, you know, there's all kinds of veterinary medicine research going on in, in this country. Uh, everything new with ag chemicals. And one of the best opportunities we have is for this science establishment to continue to do research and to continue to determine how we can produce food and fiber more efficiently, more profitably, and more sustainability to, for, for the, the land and for the environment around it. I think that's the best opportunity. Wendell. All those, all those trips with those tractors across the field are why a lot of old farmers can't hear. <laughs> Being in radio is why I can't hear, Wendell. I'm with you. Krista, opportunities. Well, I'm just going to piggyback off what Ken said and um, he kind of set, set it up for the environmental side of things and since one of the um, big things I've been working on this summer with Gary Schnicki at the University of Illinois and then one of um, another person in our department, Sarah Sellers, the three of us have spent quite a bit of time evaluating um, carbon market opportunities and, and what's going on there and that's still in the early stages. Um, if you read much about it, you'll frequently see the, the Wild West reference because it's kind of a 
plethora of, of, of information, a lot of things. It's kind of a crazy marketplace right now. Um, but also, I think that signifies the opportunity that is there in the future as, um, you know, we really need, uh, there's a, a bill that's um, passed the Senate with huge support, 92 of, of the 100 senators voted for it, and then it's been held up in the House for several months. And it's a piece of legislation that you wonder why the House isn't uh, taking this up. I guess they're distracted by other things right now. But um, it would really help um, provide some framework for these, uh, the private marketplace that's already operating to be more valuable to farmers. It has a lot of protections for farmers written into it. It would help um, answer some of these questions about how is carbon measured? What can I be doing on my farm? Farmers are very interested in this. Um, they're environmentalists. They love, they love their land. They love their animals. They, um, you know, love their natural resources and want to preserve them. And a lot of people are already doing the things um, but it's hard to get into these markets right now because there's just not a lot of, there's more questions than answers. So we need to see some movement on that, on the policy end that would help um, provide some consistency in what's available. Okay. But it's definitely an opportunity. Brendan, opportunities? So I can go from the ag retail um, side of it, uh, just in my company alone. We always have openings, um, not only in sales and operations, um, we're always looking for people that we can bring up as interns to move on and so associate sales. We can move on to management positions. I mean, my company is very diversified, and with precision agriculture that's coming out there big, there's a lot of new equipment that can be added to planters. Um, there's a lot of things that we can do on combines, and we're always looking for expertise in that. So I would say jobs. There's always going to be jobs in the agriculture industry, and they're really hard to find people that want to work, but it's there. And they're actually, believe it or not, well-paying jobs that are being offered now. And the finding the workforce is hard, but once we do, if somebody wants to work, um, you will always find an opportunity, I think, in agriculture. Okay, thank you, Brendan. Well said. Professor Connell? The long history of agriculture is more and more from less and less, cleaner and cleaner. And we're just going to keep doing that. As long as you didn't ask me about threats, uh, I think the biggest threat is the government the agenda-driven people who don't know what they're doing get in our way. But if they stay out of their way, I have a lot of faith in the American farmer and agriculture. The future's going to slowly get better. And thank you for providing your threat. I apologize for missing you, but government is a big one. Government overreach, they call it. Thank you, Professor Connell. Troy Kazire? Well, there, there's a tremendous number of opportunities in agriculture from the technology side, from the, the social media side. I mean, it's it's a threat for us, but it's also an opportunity. But but the one that I'm going to pick, uh, and, and so a couple people have touched on growing populations in, in other countries, India, China, uh, other under, underdeveloped countries, and we always hear about that. But one of the things I think sometimes we forget is in those countries, not only are the populations growing, but on average, the last stat I saw, across the globe, roughly every 15 years, somewhere around a billion people rise from poverty to middle class as defined by the country they live in. When that happens, your diet changes. Your consumption, your consumer patterns change. And, and they want more protein. They want higher quality protein. They want a wider variety of food uh, and fiber and in that opportunity now there's the additional piece how do we get into some of those markets as that changes I think and I hope that if you have that continuing to happen there's going to be internal pressure 
from their own populations wanting those products. And, and I think there's a tremendous demand opportunity for agriculture over the next few decades, not only from the growing population, but from the rise, uh, rising standard of living. Okay, thank you very much, Troy Kazire. Brian Poston, come here. Yeah, uh, Brennan and uh, Troy took a couple of the comments I was going to say, um, but two things I had for opportunities. One, uh, in animal production here in the United States, I think there's an opportunity for producers to deal directly with consumers on getting pork and beef uh, directly to consumers. Um, consumer, you know, one of the things consumers seem to really lack right now is knowing the story of where their where they're meat and where their food is coming from. So that's one aspect. I think there's an opportunity right now in animal agriculture. And then from the finance side, uh, for producers right now, there's an opportunity to make money this year. There's opportunity to make money next year, um, just as long as people can um, know where they're at, um, don't get too complacent, um, don't spend too much money. Um, there's opportunities to make some money. Cassie? Um, yeah, so the opportunities, like they've all said, they're endless. Um, we are, the technology, we're more efficient than ever in the demand for a growing population. I know since I think like 1970, we produce as much beef with a third of the numbers that we had back then so just being more efficient and I think um, farmers sometimes aren't seen as highly educated but we're always learning we're always things are always changing so that demand for a growing population to do what we've done for the last several years and keep producing more with um, less animals and less um, land um, that, that it's only going to continue. You know, I think about that too, Cassie, at our farmer's breakfast. I look around the room and, and I realize how many PhDs are, or master's degrees are sitting in that room with our farmers. It's pretty impressive. Yeah. A lot of doctors in the room, right, Wendell? Mm -hmm. Speaking of a PhD. <laughs> <laughs> Let me pick up something Troy said. It jogged memory. About 15 years ago, this is before Christmas time, but there's Professor Bob Thompson who was a pretty distinguished financial guy. He spent time at the International Monetary Fund, or one of the national or international organizations that passed out money. And he made the point that when a person's income went from a dollar a day to two dollars a day, the first thing that extra dollar was going to go on was they were going to eat better. And what an opportunity and what an increase in demand that created. Uh, that's, well, I'd forgotten that, but that's, he was, it's almost a stump speech. I've heard him do it a lot of times. Got to know that a little bit. Grace, opportunities? Um, yeah, so uh, what Professor Connell touched on um, was that farmers are going to need to um, change eventually the way that they rely on energy. And I think what's kind of scary about that, though, is that we can't afford to have a slow transition. Um, because of the globe is warming, correct? Um, and we are already seeing such drastic consequences of that. And the actions that we are taking in our state now are affecting the entire globe. You know, it's, it's a global um, catastrophe, but the solutions are local. So I think the big opportunity for agricultural now is to rely more on renewable energy sources, which are going to cut our carbon emissions and um, kind of help bring back um, 
more stable weather conditions, more stable climate, um, which is, again is a big opportunity. Okay, thanks, Grace. Dean Wilhart. So, you know, listening to the, the conversation, um, Cassie and Brian are both talking about um, communication failures, you know, where the information is insufficient. Um, Brendan is talking about jobs, and it seems to me that, that part of what uh, Seamus and I have an opportunity to do is to begin to, to combine some of those things. I think one of the things that we know about the state of Illinois is that, that uh, ag teachers in high school are um, repeatedly needed, that there is a shortage of those, and that the more that we can begin to build those programs up and seize that opportunity, then part of what you're going to get is you're going to be able to get uh, that education back out to, to a populace that is uh, broader than the people who are owning the family farms and are already working in the industry. And I think that that's a real opportunity for, for us um, in education, but it's also an opportunity for um, the greater population as we begin to, to move that out. Because what happens is if you start educating the kids in high school, they'll naturally move on to social. And you're going to get better information out there. You're going to get a, a dissemination that's going to going to reach everybody. And I think that's a, a better thing for us. Thank you very much. And Dr. Riley, close us out on opportunities, please. Well, the core of uh, a good liberal arts education is the ability to think critically. And I'd say that's one of the great responsibilities that we have. And hopefully that can help ease some of the distress around the miscommunication that we get about agriculture in general. The greatest opportunity in this um, agricultural field, of course, is the fact that it's an innovative mm -hmm. industry and it's always been an innovative industry. And, you know, we think of soybeans as always having been here. That is not true. Um, uh, you know, the establishment of the, the grain market in the United States transformed the whole world back in the late 19th century and, and completely reversed what economists thought was going to happen in terms of the threat of global population. I think of people as not a threat, but as an opportunity. And I think that's the innovative piece. And in terms of education, continuing education, uh, I was part of a program many years ago which supply, uh, was the first drone program in the state of Illinois, and we got 35 farmers to show up. That was not necessarily the population that we were targeting or who we thought would show up, but uh, farmers have been incredible at very quickly realizing the potential for technology and have adapted. And the diversification, to Grace's point about uh, sustainable energy, if you drive up to Minnesota, you'll see in the southwest corners of those fields little solar patches where farmers have carved out a little niche of land that maybe is not as productive as other pieces. And that is in turn helping them to diversify their income stream like, like Cassie talked about. So it's a lot of opportunity because of the creativity of what farmers have and because of the way in which they're constantly innovating. Okay, thank you so much, uh, everyone. That's our first hour. It's already nine minutes after 11 o'clock. You are listening to WRAM Monmouth, Illinois. We'll be back with the second half of our 2021 Fall FS Ag Roundtable. WRAM W231DA Monmouth, your all-time country favorites on your home in the country, AM 1330, FM 94.1, WRAM. When it comes to squeezing the most fuel efficiency out of every gallon of diesel fuel, there's nothing better than Diesel X Gold from FS. Modern engines are designed with more power while preventing harmful emissions. Diesel X Gold keeps them operating that way with its advanced detergent chemistry that keeps injectors operating like new and its healthy dose of cetane improver that makes sure engines start quickly and combust fuel more completely. So count on Diesel X Gold from FS. Absolutely the best fuel to power and protect diesel engines. Visit GoFurtherWithFS.com for more information.
Revolution. Monmouth College, your home away from home. Meet Eli Herrera, Monmouth College student, and happy to make Monmouth his home. I took the drive down, and I instantly loved this place. I did not even have to go to any other school or visit. I just knew that I belonged here. I love the small town feeling. Nothing like it, actually. Everyone just seems to know everyone in this town. Everyone's just so tight-knit, and I love that. Monmouth College has introduced me to a lot of possibilities and a lot of new people, and I'm really grateful for that. Monmouth College, your home away from home. Visit monmouthcollege.edu.